What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish that book. I'm Mark DeVoe. <laughs> I'm Mark Stay. And a huge thank you, as always, to the people who make this podcast possible, our Bestseller Academies in the Bestseller Academy and our patrons over on Patreon. Without your ongoing support, we simply genuinely, genuinely could not keep this podcast going. So if you want to support the podcast and get access to loads of extra stuff, uh, pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, where you'll get access to over 120 deep dives on all sorts of amazing topics. And if you want to sign up to the Academy and have me and Mr. D as your personal, you know, coaches and an amazing community of writers there go to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com there's links in the show notes check it out you won't regret it absolutely and mr stay uh, for everyone who's struggling in in our hemisphere it's like well we're kind of like going through that kind of pre-spring time when you know we're all stuck in snow and and we should all be sitting down and using this time to write but for a lot of people it's a really hard time isn't it it's hard to get motivated so i just want to remind people about the 200 word challenge as well this is like a challenge oh, yeah. that we've been running out I actually got a little update for you uh, i was looking at the figures just uh, just last week as to how many words have been banked we have this thing called the word bank which is anyone who's doing the 200 word challenge every day they can go along and you don't you don't paste your words in you just literally say today i wrote 200 words or 500 yep. words and every day you stick it in and we've been collecting all this data because i love a bit of data and a bit of a geek um <laughs> we have now hit 25 million words banked <laughs> it's absolutely absolutely bonkers so thank you to everyone thank you to every single word that you've written that you've added because what we're doing is we're trying to build a community goal we want, we've always said we want to get the world writing and we're trying to build a community goal. So every single time you bank your words, not only is it, is it kind of working that habit of, of writing every day and trying, trying to make that a streak and make it happen, but it also adds to that community goal where we can turn around and say, we got 25 million words written. That's a lot of books. So congratulations to everyone who's done that. But also if you've not done it or you maybe started it a few years ago and you fell off the wagon, that's okay. Come on back. Start banking your words today. You can bank your words for the for the first couple of months of the year if you want in one go. Just add them all in and keep on going if you're if you're doing that every day. Because you know a lot of people are doing it, aren't they, Mark? It's still I do it. Like, yeah, I do it. I you're, do one of, you're one of the rock stars, Mark, of the Challenge. Oh, yeah. challenge. You are. You are. <laughs> if there was a streaker amongst us, if there was a king streaker amongst us, you would be at Twickenham right now. <laughs> well, I'm not. I'm not streaking in this weather. I can tell you that. Um, yeah, no, I'm. I'm there every day because it, it does. It keeps you on track, and uh, I, I've got a lovely little spreadsheet that I use to sort of keep track of it. And um, 
yeah, it's my accountability thing. And it genuinely works. And there have been days when you don't feel like writing. And if you just get those 200 words done, that's it. You're done, dusted, you can go about the rest of your day. And uh, it all adds up. It all really, exactly. really adds up. Yeah. By the way, if you want to actually sign up to it, it's a free challenge. You just go to 200wordchallenge.com, 200wordchallenge.com. I'm talking to Streaky Mark. It reminded me, actually, I was at, I was at Twickenham once for a I, – I was at Swansea University um, when I was at – when I was a lad and uh, Swansea got to the finals of the university rugby thing, uh, you know, the, the, the university cup. And we all went for a day trip to Twickenham and it was a weird scenario because it wasn't like ram packed like you'd expect in like, you know, like big Wembley final or a big Twickenham final with England and France, or whatever there were, it was, it was kind of like a smattering of people, but a few hundred, but my, this guy that came with us had been talking the entire way down that his dream had always been to streak <laughs> the pitch of Twickenham and I just thought oh no seriously and we just thought he was joking but I kid you not about halfway during the first oh, half no. he disappeared <laughs> he disappeared down uh, he went to the loo and he came back with a with his long coat on and I looked down and I saw his hairy legs and I thought oh please don't. <laughs> and then at this opportune moment when the whistle went he he took his coat off. He jumped over the board, the hoardings, and ran out onto the pitch. But what he'd done is he had this massive, Careful long. Now. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> easy. He had this massively long green rugby sock that he had borrowed from someone <laughs> over his privates, and it was like it was like. The most ridiculous streak you've ever seen. He was almost tripping over this sock. It was so funny. And he ran out. And then, of course, like on TV, you know, they, there's, there's a policeman run out and they, they, yeah. they rugby tackle him. And, try, and he just ran and all, everyone just stopped and looked at him and he was just running around. And, and then he didn't know what to do because no one went on to grab him. And it was brilliant. And he had to, in the end, he kind of just went... Oh, and he just sheepishly walked off. That's the funniest street I've ever seen. So, so folks, if you're ever planning to do your own street, you know, make sure it's at a big final, you know, TV cameras. And like, uh, it was just, it was just one of those memories that popped into my head. It was just bonkers. Have you ever days. seen that, ever seen that lovely clip of uh, is it is David Niven at the Oscars in the seventies, and someone streaked across the stage at the Oscars. No. And David remember. David Niven, cool as a cucumber, just smiled and said, just think um, the, the biggest laugh that man's ever going to get is all of us laughing at his shortcomings. <laughs> it's, it's just so cool. Oh, wow. Classic David Niven. Absolutely brilliant. Do, if you Google that, it's, it's terrific. It's really, another really another one to Google as well, whilst we're on the topic very quickly, is the, uh, <laughs> the guy that streaked at the, um, the Masters or the Open, one of the major golf tournaments, completely starkers. And the photograph that is the classic photo I remember seeing is he's on, he does it on the final, uh, like on the 18th hole. And on his back in a massive black marker, he's got a huge arrow pointing towards his bum and it says 19th hole. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, How did we get onto this? This uh, is a podcast streaking. for writers. About, I know, but it's about, <laughs> to tie all this back, it's about how many, how many days can you streak how many days can you create a streak of 200 words? That's what it was. And we're, so we're challenging you to a seven-day streak. And it doesn't involve marker pens. It doesn't involve green socks. It just involves sitting down for 15 minutes a day. With your clothes writing on. a few words. With your clothes yeah. on. Well, yeah, you don't have to have your clothes on. Yeah, Actually, no there's, here. A whole, there's a whole topic. <laughs> Naked writing. Has any... No, okay, moving on. Um, <laughs> let's well, get you know, the, There on. is a Naked Gardening Day. 
because uh, Claire's, Claire's biggest video, video on her yeah. YouTube channel is her Naked Gardening Day video. Oh it's had gosh. millions of hits. So I wonder if there's a Naked Writing Day or should we start one? Come we could start you, one. You're always talking about going viral. <laughs> <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is and oh get that kit gosh. off. Oh, no, but can you imagine the photos, Mark? Can you imagine the well, photos? You know, the, oh, the, tasteful. That, Okay, here you, know. you go, though. Everyone, we always joke about how the cat always wants to get in the way of, you know, sit on your keyboard, sit on your notepad. <laughs> the, the cat could come in very, very handy for photos on Naked Writing Day, right? Someone's going to do it. If we someone's going to do it. Do it. Oh, please yeah. don't. No, seriously, we are, we, we are a family show. Uh, but we know someone will. We know someone will. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll report back next week, folks, if you want to hear how that goes. Um, if it gets through, obviously, on our email, I don't know what the filters are like. I mean, who knows? <laughs> so I just saw a vision of my, in my head of, I'm not even going to say it because someone's actually going to do don't, this. Don't. <laughs> but, but, okay, all I'm going to say is books and fig leaves, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, moving on, that would be a, that would be an unboxing, wouldn't it, of different sorts? <laughs> What is going on today? It's like we've gone into some weird twilight zone. Well, you, you've is got, this really you've, the bestseller experiment you, podcast? You've got a cold, haven't you? So your medication is, is the probably, medication yeah, kicking in. I, I just want to apologise, everyone. I have had a bit of a rough week. Um, but if that's if that ends up in entertainment for all of you, of you folks, then then bring it on. That's all I can say. Love it. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's get let's pull it back. Okay, let's draw it back. Breath. Let's draw it back. Back, back to meditate. We're all talking about like breathing. Mm, yes. <sighs> Hello and welcome to the bestseller experiment. And actually what we want to talk about is something really exciting, which is the, the release of your movie in the States. I mean, forget speaking. Yes. This is yes. massive. This yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. is massive. Yeah. So uh, by the time the podcast comes out, it will have been in US cinemas. So, uh, and select cinemas. I think it's like, a, you know, it was either on the 8th or the 10th. So it's only for a couple of nights. But today... From the 13th of March, 2023, uh, the day this podcast goes out, it's available on digital to buy. So yeah, you streaming. should be able to go to Apple and Amazon. I went to my Apple, I went on my Apple TV yesterday and I and I typed in Unwelcome on the search thinking, oh, I wonder what I come up. And boom, massive picture of Unwelcome. Right. Um, it had a it had a had a kind of a mini preview that auto played. You know how they now do that nice. with streaming. Yep. I was yep. like, yep. awesome. And then um, a synopsis, it said that it had 75% on Rotten, oh, Rotten Tomatoes, Tomatoes, which yeah, is yeah, massive. We're, that's, we're fresh. Yes. That's, that's yeah. amazing. That's brilliant. Yeah, so Canada, it's the 14th, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 14th. yeah. And I've heard as well from, from in Australia, it's going to be, for some reason, it's going to be on Paramount Plus from the 17th. So this week it's kind of popping up all over the world. So if you want to see yeah. it, sort of go to your go no, to no, your... not not if Mark, Mark, not if you want to see it. <laughs> I've, I've got a request to make. I have a request. I can say this. I can say this. I've got a request to make. I'm desperate to speak about this movie on the podcast. Yeah, I want to do a and spoiler so special. I really single, do want to do a spoiler every special. Every single person on the podcast. I've got so many, so many questions to ask you, Mister Stay. You have no idea. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that. I saw it in, in January in Lister Square, big premiere, and I've been sitting here chomping my bit, not chomping, <laughs> chomping at the bit. Is that the right saying? Chomping, chomping. at the bit. It's champing, actually. Is it actually. champing? It's champing because horses champ. I yeah. didn't it's horses know that. Champing I thought it was at the bit, chomping. Yeah. 
Yeah, nice champion. Oh, there we go. Mm. I think me mm. and the, probably about six other people in the world have suddenly realised that they've been saying the wrong thing. <laughs> champing at the bit to talk about a few things on this podcast uh, about the film. So I need every single person who listens to the podcast to go watch the movie so we're not going to spoil it for anyone. So that's your mission. Um, look, if you, if you don't like scary stuff, um, it's okay. Um, mm. Tuck yourself behind the sofa. Uh, close your eyes. Do the la 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 thing with the ears. You can fast forward if you have to, like you know, fifteen seconds. They got those buttons. You can't do that in the cinema, obviously. But if you're watching it on streaming, but please go and watch it because I want. I've got some really important questions to ask you, Mister Because not only are there a few very funny Easter eggs of the podcast in the film, which is worth watching it. It was worth the money alone just to see. <laughs> but I also want to ask you a few things about folklore to help my understanding mm -hmm. a bit. Um, and yeah, so that's my request to everyone. Please just go and watch it over the next, say, two weeks, and then we'll start talking about it on the podcast and not spoil it for cool. everyone. Does that cool, sound cool, like cool. a deal, Mr. Stay? That sounds good. I was thinking okay. we could do a special show or a live I show or maybe, maybe some, a live stream or something where we can include people in that as well. That's, from, that's a really good You know, idea, from yeah. the Academy and from uh, Patreon. Yeah, 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 actually, yeah. let's do that. Yeah, if you, so if you want to be part of that, sign up to Patreon or the Academy next couple of weeks and we'll invite you to that as well and we'll have a little bit of a family meetup, as it were. Yeah, that'd be good Talk fun. movies, brilliant stuff. <laughs> so, Mr. Stay, uh, this week we have uh, a very interesting guest in the name of Rosie Andrews. Tell us about yes. Rosie. Rosie, it's I, I, great fun talking to Rosie. Rosie uh, was born and grew up in Liverpool. She's the third of 12 children. Sorry, can uh, I just stop you there? Uh, to all Liverpool fans, um, <laughs> I'm drinking 7-Up right now. And uh, for anyone who doesn't understand what that is, um, but if you do, I just have to mention that. Because when, when I heard Rosie's lovely accent, it just <laughs> brought back memories of Sunday and that epic game of football. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But I just I just have to take that moment once every like 20 years. Do carry on, Mark. Anyway, our special guest, Rosie Andrews, she st studied history at Cambridge and became an English teacher. And The Leviathan is her debut novel. And what a novel. I tell you, Mr. D, every bookshop I go into, there it is. It's an amazingly beautiful cover, the most incredible reviews. So it's, I think it's, you know, it's on paperback now. It's one of the smash hits of the year, I think. But we discuss plotting in strands, celebrating mini goals, and writing historical fiction that feels authentic. Wonderful. So let's dive in and listen to Mark chatting with the lovely Rosie Andrews. Rosie Andrews, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? Thank you. I'm I'm fine. I'm cold. It's cold in this house today. It's a bit it's a bit nippy. This is one of the things we especially as fuel is being essentially being rationed. I've got at least four layers on today. Fingerless gloves. I can highly recommend fingerless gloves and, and stamping your feet and getting up and doing things like the washing and the dishwasher and all that kind of thing is, you know, at regular intervals. These are all the habits that that keep us poor authors from being, you know, ending up like uh, little frozen statues. Is that is that sort of part of your routine, Rosie? Is that part of your your day is getting up and moving about in between the writing? It has to be. I mean, I, I'm a mom and and I've got a dog. So those things um, are non-negotiable, really. <laughs> well, look, we're here to talk about your magnificent novel, The Leviathan, which starts, I believe, in 1643. We've got the onset of the English Civil War, but there are also sinister forces at work. Can, can you tell us about this wonderful novel? 
Absolutely. So um, you're correct that the Leviathan starts in 1643 in the main narrative. Um, when we actually arrive at the beginning of the book, we are slightly later in time. So it starts um, in 1703 and it starts with an old man um, and he's about 80. And he's sitting sort of like I am now. He's got a blanket on his knees, which I have, <laughs> and he uh, is surrounded by books. And then he begins to open some old papers and something reminds him of, of something else. And he reads um, a piece that is it describes something that happened on a ship many years before that was witnessed by his own father and by a man called John Milton, which isn't made obvious at the beginning, uh, but some people will obviously recognise that name. Um, and it becomes obvious as we meet his wife that they are hiding something, they're quite isolated, and they have somebody upstairs, basically, a she, and that she has woken up. And then the next thing we know, it's quite a quick introduction, um, we move towards 1643 and we meet a much younger Thomas, who's about 20. Um, he's coming home from the Civil War, which has just started, as you rightly pointed out. Um, so he is a soldier and he comes home to, uh, at the request of his sister, who's very frightened. Um, and when he gets home, he realises that there's something very wrong in the situation. So his father is a farmer. And some of their sheep have died off. Their livestock has been attacked by something. He doesn't really understand what's going on. Um, and then he realises his father is really ill and cannot actually communicate to him what's been happening between his own sister, Esther, um, and one of their servants, Chrissa, who has subsequently been arrested on what appears to be a charge of witchcraft. Um, now, Thomas, you know, he's lived quite an irresponsible young life. He's not a particularly willing soldier. But this being the 17th century, all of this is suddenly on his shoulders to fix. So he has to work out what's going on. And then as we start to move through the story, we see that there are indeed some very dark forces um, assembling against his family. And it's his job to try to fight his way through that. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. By the way, that's brilliantly done. Uh, I mean, we're, we're here essentially celebrating the paperback of the Leviathan. How many times have, had, have you had to give a variation of that synopsis? Well, quite a few now. So when it, <laughs> when it was first published in hardback, I was so bad at it. I was like, <laughs> how, how do I describe it? <clears throat> and people expect, and, and naturally they expect you to know your own book better than anybody else. But the, the fact is you just freeze up a little bit and you're not entirely sure what you wrote. Um, <laughs> But now I am a little bit better, I hope. It is one of those things, is it? Once a book has been published, essentially, uh, you, you no doubt, like many other authors, you've moved on to the next one and you're, constantly, you're in the, you know, knee deep in that and trying to figure out how that works. So when people come to you and say, in chapter 12, when <laughs> X meets Y, what were you thinking? And you're thinking, I wrote that two years ago. Well, how much? <laughs> so have you had many moments like that as well? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting that you like when you're writing a book, you know, you, you create a kind of construct of how things were, what mm. you were thinking, um, your inspiration, what you remember about what you wrote. And the fact is, some of it is a little bit shaky because I don't have the best memory in the world. I write a lot down. And um, sometimes people will say to me, you know, what was the inspiration for this character? Or why did you do this? And I think that's an excellent question. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. Does that, does that make you a very instinctive writer? Are you, are you someone who, I mean, do you plot things out or does it, are you sort of pantsing it as you go? Uh, how does that work for you? I would, I mean, I, I, because I'm a relatively new writer, when people say to me, what sort of writer are you? it's still something of an unknown 
I don't know. Um, with the book I'm currently writing, The Work in Progress, there was quite a lot of writing. Uh, uh, well, there were two stages to it, two phases. One where I did try to sort of pant it out. And the next where I said, hold on, that doesn't work. Right. Let's actually go back to the drawing board and plot this out bit by bit. And I think the reason for that is it's a murder mystery. Um, and when you're writing a murder mystery, which I love reading them, but you don't realise how much complexity there is and how much planning there is behind it because there there are a number of different strands that sort of have to come together one of which is what does the protagonist see the second is what does the protagonist not see you have to know behind the scenes what's actually happening and the third bit is you have to then work out how those things dovetail what's the process of the protagonist realizing what they missed now for me i think that's you know very it's hard to do and it's almost for me impossible to do without plotting the whole thing out. So I do. Um, Whereas with the Leviathan, although there is a murder mystery element to it, it's not quite as involved a story. So it was a bit easier to do it, as you say, a bit more instinctively. Um, And although there was still an element of noting things out and working out what was going on, it probably wasn't quite as as detailed or as dedicated um, as what I'm currently doing. Now, whether that will result in something better or worse, we're yet to see. We'll work that out. <laughs> Fun, wonderful. You spoke there of writing in strands. Is that how you visualize a novel, a sort of strands mm-hmm. intertwining? And and how are you, are you just doing that on the page or are you putting up cards or anything like that? How are you working with those strands? So I would say I'm way too lazy for some people's amazing um, level of dedication where they create pin boards and, and all sorts of things yeah. like that. That's not me. Um, but I can basically do a spreadsheet, which I, I will do. So I will have, if I have more than one protagonist and if I have more than one timeline and I will have subplots, um, I will try to put those things into some sort of order and work out, okay, if this is plot strand A and this is plot strand B, are they sort of working together all the way through the story um or do I have far too much a and far too little b and you know to try to create that flow um for the current work in progress it's actually two protagonists and they're both seeing different things and they're both realizing different things at different times which is a you know it's quite a common thing when you read the book but when you're writing it you're like oh my god (laughs) it's everywhere so you have to plot that out quite in quite detailed ways um and for the leviathan because it's two timelines although the timeline of 1703 is maybe slightly less well not slightly maybe slightly less it's definitely less in the novel um it's easier to do, but you still have to have those subplots sort mm. of um, planned out a little bit. Wonderful. So I tend to do it on a spreadsheet. Excellent spreadsheet. Love it, love it, love it. I'm fascinated in authors that are influenced by older works. We we were talking to J.S. Monroe recently, and his, his new thriller is, is inspired by Christopher Marlowe's Faust. Uh, Leviathan is, I mean, it's set around the time of Thomas Hobbes's work the leviathan how was that an inspiration for it or was it just can you think oh was it by happenstance how how are the two related well i studied hops um when i was at university and um i, I really loved although i wouldn't necessarily say it's easy to do i loved the engagement with the ideas of the time um that you that you experience when you study political philosophy and its history now, um, what Hobbes was trying to do was to wrestle 
with the fallout, um, the, the lead up and the fallout of the English Civil War, um, as well as the fallout or the, the long fallout of the Reformation in English history. So he was he sat there writing a sort of treatise on what is um, the natural state of humanity and then what's the political state of humanity how do we get from one to the other why do we get from one to the other Um, and what's the rightful sort of form of power Um, he created the idea of the leviathan um, in its political form of political ideology he was saying it's a metaphor for the state what we do is we come together citizen by citizen and we contract with each other and say we're going to um, give up a little bit of our personal power in order to create this great power of the state that protects us. And that was the fundamental point for him. It was that the power of the state is a protective one. And therefore, he was saying it doesn't really matter if it's a king or a parliament. What matters is that it protects the citizen. As soon as it stops doing that, it loses legitimacy. Now, where does that link to the novel? So what Thomas is doing as a sort of everyman character is he's working his way through this really quite scary, terrifying series of events where he faces up to powers that he didn't believe existed. um, And he has to decide what he is prepared to do to protect the things he loves. Um, I won't give away too much, but obviously the Leviathan is the title. So that idea does come into it, but it also plays into the the older conception of what a Leviathan was, which was before Hobbes got his hands on it, um, basically a giant sea serpent. Mm. And the connection there is the giant sea serpent was a symbol of power, but it was also a symbol of chaos and um, a much older religious symbol. So before we had the advent of Christianity and before we had the dominance of Christianity, obviously there was a pantheon of much older uh, gods and powers and the Leviathan plays into that. So the story looks a little bit at um, the emergence of that idea in Norse mythology, in Egyptian mythology, in Babylonian mythology. And it sort of is connecting that together with Thomas's struggle through the Civil War, not the whole of it, but his struggle through elements of the Civil War um, and him trying to wrestle with this this idea of a greater power and his own personal power. So I would say thematically they sort of connect, Mm -hmm. um, but I don't want to give too much away of where it comes up in the plot. No, of course not, of course not. But this this idea of personal power and a greater power, that feels very relevant today because so many of us feel helpless with events going on around us as well. That that's uh, that's incredible. When when you're writing historical fiction, there there's always a, a kind of a push and pull of making it feel authentic and engaging a modern reader. So how do you keep that balance? Because I know that. It, you often hear people say, oh, the, the language in historical fiction doesn't feel authentic. But if you're writing about Chaucer, you'd understand about one word in 10, you know. So how do you how do you keep that balance when you're writing? How, especially if, as you've studied it as well, you, you'll, you'll know that it's um, you're having to modernise some of this. Absolutely. Um, my my brain works in a kind of like I love poetry and I love reading um, prose that sort of sounds a little bit like poetry. And a lot of the time I find it quite, although I said I had a bad memory for facts, I do, uh, for the things that I have to do. Um, I have quite a good memory for remembering poetry and prose and, and verse. And so for that reason, I tend to find that diction sinks in quite easily, the sort of patterns of the way that the ways that people spoke, the ways that they wrote things down. And I'm, I find myself not struggling to recreate that, but obviously you can't recreate it in a, you know, 
completely litter away because as you say it's just unreadable isn't it and it Mm. becomes um, alienating for the reader so I think it's about trying to create something that is true to the spirit and get enough of that language in there without um, reading through it and thinking this sounds stilted or Mm. you know um, off-putting for somebody who doesn't know the way that people spoke but I I found that it wasn't too hard once I'd read a certain amount of things that were written in that time right. to kind of bring it forward to something that was more accessible so it's, it's essentially it's reading other fiction set around that time immersing yourself in the kind of the, the milieu if that's the right word yeah. probably isn't <clears throat> the thing the interesting thing is that they didn't have novels then so no. you can't go back and read a 17th century novel because such a thing doesn't really exist. But you can read their political treatises, you can read their speeches, you can read um, plays that were written around that time, and you can get a really good sense for the way people spoke and the way people wrote things down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, it, it's almost inevitable that you will modernise it as you write something um, for a modern reader. And I read a lot of contemporary fiction as well, so it's... Yeah. Um, it's a reasonable way to balance it. Good. I've actually, um, I've got a couple of newspapers from the 18th century and they're fantastic because it's, it's a formalized kind of language, but you do pick up some of the rhythms and some of the, some of the words and phrases of, of the day. So it's worth, yeah. As, if you can go back that far and find original sources, it's definitely worth it. Definitely oh, and worth it's it. great fun as well. There's so much amazing, um, really odd stuff in there that you can just go, wow, this is brilliant. <laughs> Talking about going back, let's go back to where it all started for you, Rosie, which I believe started when you were 10, when you wrote your own pantomime. Can you tell us about that? No, please don't make me. (laughs) Um, So I I was quite a geeky child, um, surprising nobody, um, (laughs) and loved reading. I loved reading. I loved writing when I was young. Um, And we decided when we were in, I think it was year five or year six, must have been year five if I was 10, that we would be put on our own sort of um, little panto Cinderella, which we we scribbled out on a, you know, series of increasingly sloppy uh, pieces of notepaper. And, um, you know, absolutely rubbish. It It wasn't what it should have been. We didn't have any sets or any, you know, resources to do it, but the teachers let us go on with it. So a way of getting us out of their hair, which I think was um, genius on their part. And, you know, so I I loved writing. I loved stories. And then I think as I got a bit older, I sort of drifted away from it for normal life reasons. And Mm -hmm. I started working different uh, different industry completely. Um, And I just stopped writing. It was something that I didn't really do until about five years ago now, four years ago, maybe, um, when I started to get interested in it again. And once I did that, it it just came back reasonably um, naturally. So I wrote quite a few short stories. Um, I wrote a novel that I then put in the bottom drawer. And after that, I wrote The Leviathan. Um, So it was was quite quick. It was about a 10-month process of writing, which I think is um, a lot quicker than I've done the work in progress and probably a lot quicker than I'll ever write anything again. That's that's fascinating because that's... uh... We, we we one of the things we we hear a lot is 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 authors like to write without fear. They like to write without trying to second guess the reader and without trying to. So that you mentioned the one that the book that w- was never published. Will that ever be published? Will that ever come back? And what were the lessons so. you? But what were the lessons you learned from that that you took on to the Leviathan? I think that 
it is it is true that people want to write without fear but I also think that when you've written something you you think to yourself how would I experience um going into the world to talk about it to um it's not to defend it but to explain why you wrote it to think about um being a debut author with that novel Mm -hmm. and I found that the more I thought about it it was actually a novel that was set in um colonial Kenya and the more I thought about it although I know a reasonable amount about that part of history in the world it wasn't I felt it wasn't my story. I felt it wasn't my story to to tell. Although it's anyone is any, I think anyone should be able to write anything. Yeah. I didn't particularly want to walk into a bookshop and go, "Yeah, that's my book." Um, right. So I decided not to do that and to write something else. Um, I like writing, so I thought I'll, I'll write another one. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> have, having done that, it felt so much better. It felt like that this is, you know, the book of my. Obviously, it's not a retelling of my life, but it's a. It contains so many elements of things that are important to me personally that it felt um, very natural to go and talk about it. And, that's and that's the, it. that's the key difference, isn't it? We we can write whatever we want, and we should be able to write, you know, from all sorts of perspectives. But if you can't do it truthfully with a kind of a personal truth behind it, it just feels like a, a creative writing exercise, doesn't it? I mean. I- I felt very, I think, yes, I think that it didn't feel natural to me to to sort of make money from those events, if that that makes sense. Um, I thought I would love to be a successful author. I would love to be able to pay my bills from writing books. Do I want to pay my bills with this one? And the answer was no. So that's why it's in the bottom drawer and that's why it will probably stay there. Brilliant. Great stuff. Just to say as well, from five years to thinking I'm going to write something to Leviathan, which has is as debuts go, is pretty bloody astonishing. You know the the reviews have been amazing. It's uh, you know it, it was book of the year on on you know a lot of people. That's quite a. Did you set yourself goals or deadlines? What was what were you what were you thinking, Rosie? <laughs> well, I'm terribly lazy. I said so. <laughs> uh, no. I didn't set any goals. I, I thought I I want to write a book. I think I can. Um, what are the things that I like? What are the things that I enjoy um, thinking about, reading about, writing about? And history and the sort of the, the English Civil War, the Tudor Reformation, Stuart period. All of those things are things that I I love and have loved for many many years. So it didn't feel odd beginning to write about them the the things that were happening in a kind of more personal capacity was that I have a daughter she's six now so I had a baby at that time Uh, and it's quite interesting you think like you're going to have a lot less time and that's true but you also really feel like you want to carve out time for yourself for your own um, interests And, and I think that having having a baby gave me the impetus to do that so I wanted to have a bit of space that was just for me. Um, and luckily my husband's really supportive and was able to help me to get that space. So I think it was a kind of um, realising that time is not infinite and that you need to, if you want to do something, you need to go ahead and, and actually do it, combined with wanting that bit of space from, you know, the, the mundanity, if you like, of the nappies and um, the, the bottles. And I think that having having done that I realized that I did really really love it and wanted to keep doing it wonderful stuff having gone through the publishing process with the Leviathan 
What are the biggest lessons that you've learned from that taking forward into the next book? Um, well, it's a, it's a big process, uh, publishing a book. It's, um, I didn't realise, I think, quite how much there was in, in terms of editing it line by line and the, how much effort goes into it on the part of the publisher. Obviously, um, that includes things like setting up conversations like these, uh, marketing it, typeface, all, all of that. It's just a massive operation. And I think that um, it gave me, I think it gives me a little bit more insight into just how much of an investment they make in, you know, making it successful. Um, and then obviously there's you, the writer, and you're kind of sat at a little bit of a distance from that, trying to think about your next project and the project after that. And and you're operating on a slightly different traje- trajectory to them, aren't you? You're trying to think about your own career and where that's going to go. And at the same time, you have this a publishing operation that's being um, basically geared up to create a brand and create a, a kind of... Uh, hopefully multiple books that will sell to a similar sort of audience and I think that that balancing act is is a difficult one you know you want to write authentically you want to write exactly the book that you want to write but at the same time you also want to make sure that you're not just sort of darting about all over the place which I do have a tendency to do you know you I would cheerfully pick something up in the 14th century or you know I love all sorts of different periods in history but I think trying to work out a kind of discipline to work out what's going to work for, for everybody, I think is the the thing that I'm picking up as I go through it. Oh, fascinating. And I just want to, I saw a tweet that you you did a, a few days ago. Oh, um, no. Which, <laughs> don't, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, where you say, this is my little book in the window of the oldest book in London, mm. Hatchards, as their January fiction book of the month. Yes, I might have had a little cry. I, uh, I think that is so wonderful and so sweet. Could you ever have imagined that when you were you first sat down to write Leviathan? And what was that? What was that moment like for you? God, no. Um, it was amazing. You know, you you sit down to write a book, and your your aim, your goal, if you like. I said I didn't have goals. Of course, we do. You know, we have mini goals, don't we? We we want to get someone to say they like it we want to get an agent to say they like it or to like a tweet or those are the small ones and then you have a kind of big ambition at some point for somebody to publish it but for it to actually be sat there in a window or for for people to have made displays around it was just the most amazing and really surreal thing Mm. because it's so much um it's very different from the way that I imagined it when I thought about it being published. I just thought, wouldn't it be great to have a, you know, a book cover and, and all those things. But the, the love for the book that people have um, expressed and the the amount of effort that booksellers have gone to has just blown me away. It's been absolutely amazing. We spoke about sort of writing without fear, writing without expectation, Mm -hmm. but now you've had a book out and it's had this amazing reception. Are you able to put that out of your mind as you write the next book? No, I think that um, <laughs> I think if I'm answering honestly, you you want to build a readership, you want to build pe- um, a community of people who like your work. So, if I suddenly decided that I, you know, wanted to desperately wanted to write contemporary crime, I would go away and do that, of course. However, I think it's for me the elements that went into the Leviathan are probably elements that will be mirrored in other things that I write. So you're always conscious of 
wanting to write something that people who enjoyed your first book will actually like. And I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, I think it's, um, I think it's a good thing to want to create a, a pool of books that the same people can pick up and like and enjoy because that's very much what I like to do when I read a you know I love Bernard Cornwell and I love um I love Patricia Cornwall I love both of the Cornwalls um, <laughs> but then I, I'm weird like that I have quite eclectic sort of taste in, in fiction and I think it's um it's hard to just step away from it and go I just want to write this but at the same time there's, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be conscious of where your book will fit in in the mm. market. Um, so I, I have some great advice on that from both my agent and my editor. Um, it never feels like I can't go away and write the weird thing if I want to, mm. but at the same time, I you know I find that my wishes tend to dovetail quite nicely with the sort of thing I've written already. So that's fine. Yeah, it's I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I think it's simply looking at what's worked and bringing that forward with the next. And that doesn't have to be the same characters, same situation or anything like that. It can be the same tone or a style or anything like that. So, And it clearly has worked. What can you tell us about the next book, Rosie? You mentioned there's a kind of a murder mystery element to it. Yes. So it is set in the mid-19th century um, and it's set on the border of England and Wales, so just between Herefordshire and Monmouthshire. Um, And my protagonists are, there are two of them. One of them is a governess or says she is, um, and one of them is a doctor. He actually is a doctor. And uh, they have to unravel a mystery, which is, again, a slightly historical uh, mystery, things that have happened in in the slightly more recent past um, than in the Leviathan. And the title, which is actually featured in the paperback at the back, um, is The Puzzle Wood. Wonderful. That sounds fantastic. Well, Rosie, thank you so much for speaking to us today. Folks, The Leviathan is out there for you to read now and very much looking forward to the next book. Rosie, thanks for speaking to us and hope to speak to you again real soon. Thank you. It was my pleasure. So, Mark, there's a lot, a lot to unpack there. I mean, firstly, what an incredible achievement. I mean, I kind of had to rewind the interview a few times and I was thinking, she just started thinking about writing, picking up writing five years ago. About five years ago, yeah. That's yeah. that's amazing. I mean, five years does feel like a long time, but in, in an author's world, five years to go from where Rosie was, from you know the thought of putting out a book to having the success she has, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? Well, this podcast has been going for six and a bit years, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's, exactly. It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's within the lifetime of the podcast, which is always uh, always a uh, uh, you know an incredible milestone. So yeah, and to write a book this good as well because it is extraordinarily good. It's had the most amazing reviews, um, and to get that kind of reception uh, is just astonishing. So um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why when. Because the publicist came to us and said, do you want Rosie Andrews? Oh, yes, definitely. Because I see the book everywhere, absolutely mm. everywhere. It's really captured people's attention. So, um, so yeah, it's a great achievement. It is massive. Let's talk about something Rosie mentioned about movement, because it's something that we've not <laughs> – we talked a little bit about the importance of walking. If you're writing – so if you're if you're – aiming to be a full-time author or you are a, a you know you write a lot during during an average day we know that this idea of self-care and and, and getting up and moving because we do what, what was it the uh, the joke about get your get your butt in the chair was the was the slogan yeah. wasn't it yeah, yeah, and then yeah. so there's that which is the really important bit to get the words down but countering that this it's really important to get your butt out the chair and move around and i found it really interesting what rosie talks about about this idea of moving and getting the blood flowing yeah, I mean, this is um, this might sound, you know, 
kind of blithe, but I am very, very aware of this ever since I started writing full time because um, my commute is from upstairs to here. You know, well, actually, that desk there, I have a different desk for podcasting. Get me. Look two at desks. you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two desks. Oh my Mark, gosh. Mark, I'm s- two desks. Stay. I'm Mark, two desks. <laughs> you are Mark, two desks. <laughs> so, and, you know, so my first writing session in the morning is, is normally 90 minutes, two hours. And, yeah. you know, my legs are going numb by that point. So that is when I get up and there's usually lots of, you know, housework to do because uh, Claire's got a proper job. So she goes out, you know, during the day and I will be do the washing up and then I'll come back and do a bit more of something. There might be some editing to do. Then I get up and then I'll put the washing on or hang the washing up. Yeah, so totally. I, I, I'm, I'm very aware. I've got, you know, a little app that tracks my steps and I'm very aware of when I started writing full time, I, I was kind of terrified by how few steps I took during a day and I was putting weight on, you know, I've been on a diet. Well, I say a diet. I've changed my diet for just a little over a year now. And I lost two stone, you know. So it is um, it is really important to get up and, and move about. I know it sounds kind of trivial almost or, or a little bit silly. No, it's not, but, though. Man, it's yeah. not, though, because there's a whole thing about blood flow to the brain. Ooh. I mean, water and movement are probably the two most important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look at this. Look at this bad boy. Okay, for anyone who's watching on YouTube, <laughs> look what I got for Christmas. You see this, Mark? It's so cool. <laughs> it's it's a water thing. It's a water bottle that tells you where you should be. Look, I'm actually at 8.30 in the morning right now, and it's 9.30, so I have to drink, Mark. I have oh, to drink. I have to so gulp. on the side, it, tells, the side, you it tells you what you should have drunk by where, a certain time of day. Where you should be. Isn't it brilliant? Oh wow! And you have to keep I have going. To fill... Don't give up. Oh. <laughs> Trust <laughs> you. It's a Trust you to have a motivational flow. Water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who but... got you that for Christmas, but they really get you. They know you. <laughs> you get the Star Wars T-shirts. I get the motivational water bottles. Mark. That's how the universe works. It's how the universe is in balance right now. It is. It's without these two things. You think things are bad now? Without these two things, the whole world have gone to crap. This bottle is brilliant because honestly, you never know. I never know how much water I've drunk, but I know when I haven't drunk enough because I've got a headache. My mm. brain feels like it's even smaller than an acorn, right? Yeah. It's like everything shrinks. You, you look 10 years older in your face. Like people say, Mark, what's, what's, what's the cream that you use? I'm like, no, I just drink water. Drink, yeah, hydrate, got to hydrate. Hydration, but hydration, but by moving as well, it, it it's get up. I mean, what what about this for the holy grail? Get up to get a drink of water. I mean, that's like two birds with one stone. But the point is, if you get up and you're walking around, you're generating oxygen, you're refilling your brain. It's like recharging your brain. And if you've ever sat and written for any length of time. And you do go into that wonderful like zone where you just like, you don't even forget what time it is. That's brilliant. But when you stop and you actually check in with how you're feeling, you, you'll be like, oh, my, my head might be pounding. Your eyes might be straining. You might have a dryness in your throat. And the point of, the point of movement and hydration is you should be doing it before you need to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. we always do it after the event. We always hydrate. We always walk. We always get up and walk because our back's feeling sore. We think, oh gosh, I've been sitting for hours. We always do it after the event. We have to keep just chipping away, which is why this bottle's great because it reminds me every hour. Look, I'm at nine o'clock now. I've still got another. <laughs> By the end of the podcast, Mark, I need to have drunk in twenty minutes. I need to have drunk that much. It's about, well, it's that like about an inch and a half. 
Yeah. But if, if that's what it takes to keep you on track, and that's what you're saying with the tracker with the watch. I've got a yeah, yeah, watch yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant even on the days when, you, when it's horrendous because when I look at this water bottle and when I look at this watch and it's horrendous, it's like a thousand steps or something ridiculous mm. or, or I only got halfway down – that's as important because it's the reminder to say, right, tomorrow you need to do a better job, Mark, than you did today because you really messed up. And 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 it's the reminder, and that's why we need to check in with those. Yeah, I'm, I'm those much more conscious. Much more conscious of it now. I, one of the weirdest things I do is um, <laughs> when I get to the proofreading stage of a book, mm-hmm. which is where you sent the whole book. You got the PDF of the print ready proof pages. Okay. And it's, you know, 300 pages of a book or whatever. And you've got to check every page and you usually don't have long to do it. You can't, it's not something you can put off. You kind of have to do it then. And I like to try and get it done in a week uh, because, you know, it's intense. You stop everything else and you just focus on this because this is your last chance to get the, to spot any mistakes before it goes to print. Okay. So I could sit here hunched over my desk all day but that's not going to be especially as you get older we're in our 50s now you know we are we are, <laughs> you know, it, we are. if i we're like, if i hun- uh, nearly midlife not quite <clears throat> <laughs> so if i'm hunched over the desk the, the chances are when i get up i stay hunched you know so what i would do right i put it on my big screen here i'm moving away from the screen people are not watching on youtube and i would walk backwards and forwards as I'm reading, and I'm reading it out loud because the other thing my proof pages is I read them out loud because I find that's the best way to spot any mistakes. So You're actually I'm, exercising whilst you... I'm exercising and talking to myself as I'm doing it. <laughs> and, hoping, and I'm getting my steps in. And hoping, and hoping no one walks no in. No one walks in. <laughs> like, but oh, God, that's works. totally lost the plot, Mum. He's, totally, he's walking around his room. I think we need to get him some help. <laughs> no, but it's true. Yourself, yeah. I must admit, yeah. Mark, when I coach and I'm on and I'm on just on just on telephone calls or audio, mm-hmm. and I've got wireless headset, best invention ever. I'm often walking around my room. I'm going in a circle, literally going do you pretend, in circles. Do you, do you pretend you're doing a TED talk? Yeah, I do. I do. I'm doing the whole <laughs> Italian pasta hand thing, and and and. But no, I tell you what, it's really interesting because when I get up and I move around, the coaching like goes through the roof like I'm, mm. I'm the ideas start firing i'm and they always say in coaching if you're stuck you say this to your client you know if you're stuck turn the other way like literally just do 180 you know and just face the opposite direction just get a different perspective and so i think part of the magic is such a basic thing but it works so if you if you're stuck with your writing face the other way and just look at a different wall or even mm-hmm. better get up and walk around because it something shifts. Like if anyone's into Tony Robbins, um, I'm a big um, advocate of personal development motivation. There's some great, like full on, like, like, you know, I did firewalks, like walked across hot coals and did some crazy stuff back in my day. Of course you did. I, of course, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> unleash the power folks. I mean, there's a lot of people listening going, Oh my God. I, yeah. Cause he's, he's a very, very populist motivational speaker in the US and he's actually a, he's pretty good at what he does despite his cheesy American grin. And he knows it and he loves it and he takes the mick out of himself. He's brilliant. But he always, always, mm. always talks about change your state. And he talks about, even if you just have a move that you do, if you're really low, sounds a bit, it sounds a bit ridiculous, but he says like, if you, if you have your move and it can be like punching the air or clapping or something, which is an anchor for, to shift that energy. 
he says, just do it. And it's amazing. And so in a weird, in, well, not in a weird way, but in, a, in an obvious way, just by the act of getting up and walking around, it can unstick some of the things. Mm. Or even, again, you don't have to do it because you're stuck. Do it in advance of being st- stuck. Like, don't wait to get stuck with your writing. Get up and move after mm. 25 minutes, even if it's just to go and get a sandwich, you know, go to the loo or, you know, have a, have a, have a, have a refill of your water bottle. I think it's so, so important because I do think our, I think if we plotted it, and I'd love to do the experiment, but if we plotted, um, if we could like ask someone every 10 minutes in say two hour writing session, how's your writing going? One to 10, you know, first 10 minutes, it might be like, oh, eight, I'm flowing. And if we keep plotting it over that two hours, I promise you it's a downward trajectory. All the way. Mm, <laughs> it's going to, yeah. it's going to always, yeah. I mean, sometimes you might have a spike cause you get an exciting bit and you're back on it and you're, you're, you're reinvigorating. But overall the trend line is downwards. And yet if you took a, if you took a quick break, got up, moved around, I bet you it would average higher over those two hours. So it's, 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 you're banking, you're banking additional credits as it were, just by moving. Yeah. It's funny. I, um, I stopped a bit early today because I hit one of those spikes. I solved a big story problem. I'm in, in up to my gills in line edit, um, mm. not that, and edits for the the fourth Woodville book at the moment. And there was a big motivational thing. I thought, oh, cracked it, cracked it, and I wrote that down. I'm like, done for the day. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to yeah. Good. So yeah, I walked away on a high. So when I come back tomorrow, I've got a problem solved right there, and I can just work with it. So yeah, yeah. That's the thing that that's the that's the thing that keeps you going as well, isn't it? Those those mm. mini wins, which we'll talk yeah. about. Uh, yeah. In fact, let's talk in a minute. Let's go into that because um, how brilliant, how brilliant! Like talk about a milestone. I wouldn't even call this a mini win. I think this is a massive win because one of the the it's idea Hatchards, of s- seeing you know? your seeing your book, not just. I mean, let's talk about seeing the goal that the dream that so many people have is seeing their book in a bookstore, like walking mm. into your favorite bookstore and right there on the shelf faced out of course faced out mm. because you've either been in earlier or one of your friends have done it but faced out there's your book the feeling of achievement accomplishment the dream realized yet rosie took it one step further the the not just the bookshop but the book window the bookstore mm. window that is a whole other level like that's that's kind of like the exclusive few because there's yeah. only so much space so yeah. That that's upping the stakes, isn't it? It really is. And Hatchards, you know, one of the, the greatest bookshops in London. Um, you know, as used by the royal family, if you please. You know, so it's really? uh, very very prestigious, very prestigious. I can't say it. <laughs> uh, very posh. Um, so uh, yeah, so that is that is a great achievement, and it's one of those bookshops that you know when you visit London, if you're passing, you always pop in. It's proper old school bookshop. Yeah. You know, actually. Part of the Waterstones chain. Not everyone knows that. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. So there is a huge achievement. But she talked about having these little mini goals, which made me think of you and the academy and all the little goals we have there. So she was so she, one of her goals was just finding someone who likes it, and then an agent who likes it, and window displays. So you yeah. know, we have all these tiny little wins that we celebrate. And um, I know, I know, you love that, don't you, Mister? I Duke? do, and, and I'm, I've been developing in the academy a, a really cool, a cool tool, <laughs> um, which we're going to be launching soon, and it. I'm really excited about it because it's going to basically revolutionize the way we write books. And that's, that's a small claim really, isn't it? I mean, you want to say it like that. But what I mean by that is currently the way that we write a book is we decide to write a book and then we've got the, the long marathon of a journey to get to those six beautiful letters, the end. 
right? Mm. And so what I want to do is I want to create a, a way in which we can try and break down the whole process and celebrate along the way and recognize, check in. Because we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, Mark? It's very hard when you're in the moment, when you're in the, and, and you, everyone can probably reflect on something in their life where even happened maybe this week where they maybe should have stopped and celebrated. And they should have given themselves a pat on the back and they should have said, I did it. And actually a year ago, if you told me that I was going to be able to do that now, I'd, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah, I've done it. And I've just cruised right through it like I was on the highway, the motorway. And there it was like waving at me on the side of the road. And I just drove straight past it. I didn't stop and acknowledge that life is one series of events after another. And some of those events um, need to be celebrated. So the idea of the academy, very much what we've been doing from day one, the very first thing I created in the academy was a wins forum. And the idea is, is that anything big or small, you put it in there and we celebrate. It goes in the newsletter every Friday. We send mm. out a newsletter, everyone's wins. And it's my favorite thing. It's like, and it's massive. Like this section is big and it grows. And it's about acknowledging that you did something, that you achieved something. And it, it's such a massive, massive undertaking writing book that we need that. We need that sometimes even just to keep going. And it's also about acknowledging that we have made another notch forward in this long journey. It's it's a bit like if you're running a marathon, you do acknowledge when you get to the first mile and the 10th mile, the 11th mile, the 15th mile. You acknowledge all of those points because it keeps you going. And you also recognize that every milestone you reach, you're getting closer to the the big milestone that you're aiming for, which is finishing your book. And then of course, beyond that, it doesn't stop because the next milestone is finding an agent or publishing the book or, you know, getting your, getting your book made into a movie. And so this system I'm developing takes all of that into account and it's going to be super exciting. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in the future, but um, it's very important. So, so folks, if you have a win this week, we always say this on the podcast, but let us know about it. We want to celebrate yes. with you. And, and it's, it's about, it's a win for you. It's something, here's, here's the way to phrase it. If I had asked you five years ago, if you thought you'd have been able to do what you did last week or next week, would you have believed me? And if you, if you said, no, actually, I wouldn't have believed that I could have started a book. That's a huge win for you. So, so tell us about it, celebrate it and get in the habit of doing it. That's the other important thing. I'm terrible at it. It's, we all are, Mark. We all are. I'm really, really bad at it. Um, I should probably do it more often. But um, yeah, and it is, all these moments whiz by, they blur by. I mean, I keep a diary and I'll make a note of them in my diary, but it's not the same as, you know, celebrating it or taking yeah. a moment to, you know, well, to, to, to in, indulge in it and, and have fun with it. And I'm, today's, I'm so bad at it. Today's a great day to acknowledge it because how did we start the show off? Well, we talked, we did start the show off about streaking, so we can just put that aside, but <laughs> we eventually got on to what we wanted to talk about, which is the release of your movie, which, and when I stand, I know you're in it and I know you're right in the, the, you know, the promotion of it and there's so much going on, but I stand back and I'm get I've got a little bit of more kind of a, perspective on on what i see happening and it is absolutely bonkers i mean i i reflect on like how many people in the world not just this year but the last year and the last 10 years have written something that's become a main a main released movie with warner there is literally a handful of people in the world and i'm not not doing this to blow like, you know, try and, you know, but I just want, I just, I just want to acknowledge this moment. Like we have to practice this. This is massive achievement and it's bonkers. 
and it's and sitting in that cinema watching that movie it was I, I said it was the most one of the most surreal nights of my life because we've been talking <laughs> about this for three years and we're here today with its with its US release and the fact that it even happened how many movies never made it through COVID how many how many you know how many books ne- how many scripts or ideas that people had for movies have not yet been finished you know, that started before you started writing it. So I want to just acknowledge that. And I think congratulations to you because it's massive. You're going to take this to you for the rest of your life. No one can ever take that away from you now. You did it. Yeah. You yeah, did it, mate. Woohoo! I know, I know. It's, it's, <laughs> I know I should, you, you get a bit Eeyore about it because sometimes you think, you know, you have thoughts and dreams about what it might be. And it's never quite how you, you, you yeah, figure it out. It's never I, quite I, how you think it's going to turn I out. Saw, I saw a lovely interview with the actor Seth Rogen today, and he was talking about when he when he gets bad reviews for a movie or when he's made a movie that that's, gets stinky reviews. He says that actually he celebrates that. he If he's had bad reviews, he takes himself out for a meal. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and I love it. it. And, and sort of makes that point, which is, I've made a movie. He's you made know, it. It's yeah. really hard, really, really hard to make him. I mean, it is astonishingly hard to get a movie made. So, you know, he just he just celebrates that. So uh, Well, there's a celebration of finishing the movie. That's like the end when we talk about finishing the mm. book. It's like the end. But then there's another celebration, which is 75% on Rotten Tomato. How many how many movies don't get anywhere near that? You know, again, it's a celebration that the movie's being like people love it and people want to see it. There's all these other things, and there's all the celebrations down the road of um, things we don't yet know. You know, yes, there's, there's stuff that will come from this. We've always talked about this, haven't we? Um, the celebrations of things yet to be discovered. The, and this is this is the thing going back to the milestones I was talking about earlier. The dream of the dream. It's like whenever you achieve something in your life, we always focus on that achievement or that thing that we've been aiming for because it's all our focus has been get to the end, right? Get to the end of the book, get the book published, uh, get on the bestseller chart, whatever it might be for you. But what we always forget is by pushing through that achievement, that's that's a dream that's been accomplished. But it's, a, it's also a child uh, or rather it's the parent, I should say, of another dream that's going to come from it. Right. And it, it's a, it's something throughout our whole life that the more you always look at, if you look at the trajectory of people who have achieved incredible things in their life and you go back and I've done this, I've studied a lot of people's success stories. Like what first happened? What was the first thing that changed in someone's life? And then that happened and then that happened. And when you start to plot it, you start to see how they're all related. They're not often just like random things that happen in people's lives. Something comes from as a result of something else. So, you know, you finish your first book, what might happen? Well, you might have a second book it, and, and you, you can't have a second book as ridiculous as this to say, you can't have a second book without having had a first book. Yeah, and right, yes. what's different, <laughs> right? Let's just write that down, everyone. You can't, but no, the, the, the point is, the point is, is that you, know, you, can't, you can't have a series. You can't have book three in a series unless you've written book one and two. So the, the point is, is that all of these things are connected and every single thing that happens is a slightly bigger, larger, more interesting, more growth, more experience. They all, it all builds on each other and you end up, you know, throughout your life, you watch this build. We go back, you know, go back 20 years, think about where were we? You know, you were walking, working maybe 20, 25, 30 years working in Waterstones, the bookstore. Today we're talking about a movie that has come out internationally. Mm. Like 
if I'd if I'd gone back to you as that, if I'd come up to you in Waterstones as you were there working on your screenplay that you shouldn't have been doing, Mister Stay, because you should have been working, sucking those <laughs> shells. But if I'd come up to you, if I'd come up to you, Mark, and said to you, "Okay, I'm the I'm the fairy godfather from the fairy godfather like that. I'm the fairy godfather from um, Thirty Years in Your Future." I want to show you this picture of a movie. And you're like, what's that? I said, that's the movie that, that's coming out in the cinemas across the world that you're going to write. And you've been like, get out of here. But <laughs> the point is, is if you weren't there at nine o'clock at night when you should have been stacking shelves, writing your screenplay, would today have happened? Would it? Maybe. This is, this, is this, sound, this does sound like the pitch for another movie. Well, I'm going to write this down. Uh, this is well, listen, sort of, I... Um, <laughs> This is it's Actually, a wonderful life maybe, meets Back maybe, to the Future. Maybe, maybe it's Back to Reality too. Maybe that's. Uh, I'll be oh, the script. No. Cons- I'll be the script consultant, Mark. If you want me in on that, I'll, I've got tons mm. of ideas. No, but the point is, is that I, I'm amusing you. I'm, I'm sorry to use you as an example, Mark, on the show because I'm, sure I'm, embarrass- I'm embarrassing no. you. But it's a really good opportunity to remind everyone listening that this is how it works, folks. This mm. is how it works. It, there's no, there's no shortcut. It's just you, you get your head down, you you keep focused on your dream. You've always wanted to do this, Mark. You've always wanted to make movies that were put out. You've always wanted to release books. And it's happening. Mm. You're releasing books, you release movies, because it's what you've always focused on and you've always had design. You've never given up. And it's an example of how it works. And, yeah, trials and tribulations. God, you want to, you know, just rewind the podcast a few hundred episodes and you'll document every single one of them, right? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And I mean, you, if you want thing, examples of them, they're right there. And you're right about that dream of the dream thing because you get something, you get a book, you get a film deal, you get whatever, but then you want more. You know, the now, ambition this, grows. This you is, know, well, this, but that's yeah. also that's also the taming of the of the beast in some ways because <laughs> you want more in um, it, it it it's one of those things where. You have to keep in that flow. You have to keep in that flow because that that I've also seen that kind of wanting more can also destroy people. Yeah, can, yeah, yeah. I yeah. coach I coach some incredibly successful people with all kinds of amazing achievements in there. The people that you would know if I said their names out loud. And and the interesting thing is when I'm coaching people to get to a certain level of success, I do a certain kind of coaching. It's often confidence building, self belief. Um, visualizing what they want to create, goal setting, and working hard to achieve it. That's what I do. Mm. When when the time comes when something massive happens and it's life-changing and it's award-winning on the highest level you can imagine and multi-million sales and all the rest of it, the coaching changes. The co- the, when something becomes successful, everything changes because now you're dealing with success. And success is amazing, but it also brings its own struggles. Mm. How do you repeat what you've just done? How do you not become so focused on just like the, the, losing the intrinsic reasons as to why you actually yeah. doing what you're doing, yeah. right? So a lot of people, they just get focused on all the, all the kind of the money and the commercial side of things. And that starts to kind of like break, break them down. It's fascinating mm. to, I mean, I get to see it all as a coach. I'm very, very, very privileged in that regard, but it's taught me a lot about life. But, um, the bottom line is I always say this, Mark, uh, the number one rule in life if you want to plan your next big goal, will it inspire your kids? Simple as that. Will it inspire your kids? That's all it boils down to. Because that's, for me, that's the connection right there. doesn't matter if it's commercially successful, not commercial. Will it inspire your kids to follow their dreams? Will they look at you as a parent 
And by the way, if you haven't got kids, I'm not excluding you. Like there are many, many children out there, nieces, nephews, adopt a kid in the street, you know, talk to them. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But but have an avatar, have an avatar of a child who's looking up to you and going, yeah, you talk a lot, but I'm looking at your actions. I'm looking at how you live your life. I'm looking at how you show up in the world. I'm looking at your value system. And I'm looking to you to inspire me as to how I should follow my goals and dreams. It's never about what you want them to do because you never achieved it in your life. We see that all the time. Classic one in Canada, Mark, hockey parents. Oh my gosh. Hockey parents, bless you, all of you. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) They're up at like 3.30 in the morning. I am not kidding you. On a school day, getting their kids to the ice rink and the kids are running around playing hockey and the parents are sitting there freezing their buns off at three, four in the morning, because they have a dream of their child getting to the NHL and being the next Wayne, Wayne Gretzky. It's the same in England. It's like everyone wants their kid to be the next Stephen Gerrard, David Beckham. And they'll, and it's not about, where, where am I going? I've just suddenly gone off on this random. <laughs> the medication's kicked in, listeners. Ha- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just realised this, this is, but I think, okay, I think it's a value to people. I want people to remember um that what we do today, what we do the, tomorrow, what we do the next week, it's it's a week in our life and we can't waste it. We've got to connect with this mm. stuff at some point in our life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a big day for you. It's a big day for you. And um, yeah, this is what you get in the academy, folks, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just to warn you, still, work, still steer, steer well clear if this isn't your stuff. But the point <laughs> is, I want people to reconnect with why they're showing up because I think there's a lot of people out there this week who are probably feeling a bit down and a bit kind of, you know, deflated and a bit unmotivated and i'm here to say push through it keep running look for those goals and milestones and you know look at what mark look at what you've achieved mark you you know i always talk about people the reason we like people coming writing into us is we we always say it inspires the other people when you see that it's possible and you've inspired a ton of people with what you've done with the movie Everyone's well we've like, got oh man We've also got a bit of this in social media at the end that will hang around for that. Ah, folks. interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, nice little, little Fantastic. Well, listen, folks, if, if, you've, uh, if you've enjoyed the, the banter, there's going to be way more of this on the other side of the flip of the switch because we're going to be moving into the extended version of the podcast where we're going to talk about um, the importance of rehearsing the synopsis of your book for podcasts. <laughs> what, what is a good pod? What is a good synopsis? And we're going to give, we're going to talk about um, Rosie's excellent kind of example of that. We're also going to talk about writing in strands, the importance of timelines and, and spreadsheets. If you're into that kind of thing, uh, we're going to talk about plotting and pantsing. Is it okay? If you don't know historical fiction, making it authentic and making yourself authentic within that. Mm. And finally, we're also going to talk about this great topic, which Rosie talked about, which is building a readership as a conscious plan as part of your promotion. So folks, if you would like to join Mark and I for even more of this craziness, um, please subscribe to the podcast, uh, bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Um, join us as a patron and get the incredible extras that we bring you each week. So, Mark, let's talk about what's happening on social media this week. Ah, uh, so much joy and happiness. Okay, so first one is from Jenny Roman, who is uh, at slightly tequoys on Twitter, uh, and she's slightly a regular. T-coys. Yes, she's <laughs> a, she's a regular on the two hundred words a day hashtag, and she said, "Finally finished 
the first draft of my equestrian novel. Whoop, whoop. I'm so, I'm so excited. I've even written a blog post. Now I'm going to celebrate by cleaning the house. Now, look, we talked about getting up and moving about and getting the blood flowing, yeah. didn't we? But um, Jenny's uh, written a blog about this and about how the 200-word-a-day challenge helped her with this novel. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Do check Fantastic. it out, Jenny. It's been a joy seeing Jenny's tweets every day. And she's tweeting again. She's still on there working on, I think she's working on something new at the moment. Love it. Um, but, you know, just I've, one of those people who every day is putting their 200 words a day up and it's paid off in spades. I've got to say, Jenny, if, you're, if your idea of celebrating is cleaning the house, I think that's brilliant. But I just hope you also had a, a glass of champagne in your hand as you went around cleaning. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Congratulations. And, and here's to the next one. Here's to the next one. Absolutely. Now, uh, Sadir S. Samir uh, put a little a thing on Twitter, and he's got a new book out, and he got a quote from none other than our own Mike Shackle, who, you know, uh, a longtime supporter of the po- support of the podcast. He, he's the guy who listened to the Joe Abercrombie episode. He was about to give up writing. Heard Joe Abercrombie was inspired. He's now self-published a whole bunch of books. He did an amazing trilogy, uh, the Last War trilogy uh, with Golance. Um, absolutely fantastic. So Mike is an absolute superhero. Uh, and he read Sadia's book and he gave him a quote. He says, Sadia has managed to create such a gem in a book full of memorable characters that expertly keeps you turning the pages and occasionally chuckling out loud. I'm not sure what to label this type of fantasy. Epic fun fantasy, perhaps. All I know is all, more of it. The sooner the better. Bravo. I mean, what a quote. And Great this is for Sadia's book, The Crew. And Sadia tweeted, he said, Mike is an author that I looked up to. So getting a review like this from him means the world to me. I remember listening to Mike years ago on the Bestseller Experiment podcast right before his debut was published and that interview and his writing journey inspired me a lot. So history's there repeating itself. There That's we go. That's exactly what we were talking about. That was exactly what we are talking about. Oh, I love it. What a brilliant story. Wow, if there was ever a more perfect example of how, you know, the cycle of the cycle of life and giving back and and inspiring others and not knowing what's going to happen. I love. So the question is, dear, who are you going to give a quote to in three years from now? Ta-da! Yeah, right. Yeah. That's how yeah. it works. Fantastic, Brilliant. fantastic. Thanks, Adil. Really appreciate that. Um, over on Patreon, um, Sasha Green left a lovely little quote because she was t- she's been listening to the Richard Armitage story, and she says this mega episode got me through my cleaning this morning. So there we go, another That's person moving about cleaning about things, cleaning and podcasts. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, and she was saying because I think in that episode I was saying I feel like I I write stuff that doesn't appeal to the mass market. And she said I'm the same. She said but all I can do is appropriate that famous meme with Liam Neeson and say you don't know who they are but your fans will find you and they will love you just keep writing that's great advice thank you sasha and and finally look we're talking about mini goals uh with uh you know on on this episode with uh, rosie and the goal the new goal that we all want is a parking cone (laughs) this started this started with kate baker who went to an event and discovered that they put a little cone out with her name on it. Yeah, one of those um, big red ones for anyone in England, yeah. the big red traffic cones that all the students like yeah. to nick on nights out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, <laughs> a lovely post from Josh Atkinson, another longtime supporter of the podcast, on, and he said, came home to this today after telling my fantastically wonderful wife I had a crap day at work. And there's a little cone in his drive that said, reserved for author J.W. Atkinson. And he said, it satisfies the cone envy 
Uh, and, and he says, on top of finishing today's inspiring episode of The Best Seller Experiment, it made me think of how we are all here for each other in the same way, the Best Seller Experiment group, giving what support we can, even if it's just like a comment, uh, just a bit of advice. So thanks, everyone, for each and every post of your journey. Um, now, amazing. But, you know, you are working on this writer's milestone roadmap mm-hmm. for the Academy. Is the traffic cone going to be in there? It's in there. It's in yes. there. It's in there. The traffic cone, because there's a part, there's, a, there's also a massively fun element to this as well. Um, we've got, we've got inspired by the podcast. There's so many things every week when I've thought of a new milestone or heard a new milestone, I've been documenting it for years, actually. I've been building this list over years. Um, the traffic cone, your own, your first ever traffic cone with your name on it, reserved <laughs> traffic cone is in, is in the pinch me moments part of the milestone. Yeah, so, I've not yeah. had one. I've not, I, I, I know I've you a, see that it's yeah. rare, but you know, the weird thing is we've got about 200 people in the, in the, um, bestseller, uh, BXP team group on Facebook, uh, which is kind of an exclusive group that you get to join, uh, and chat with some amazing authors when you become a supporter of the show or you become a member of the Academy. And the weird thing is out of those 300 people, uh, sorry, 200 people, three of them, three of them have had traffic cones. Vanilla <laughs> Hughes has had a traffic yeah. cone when she no, went and gave a talk at her local library. And so it's amazing, actually, <laughs> how many times it comes up. But for me, it's like, you know, I mean, it's like, it's like first a traffic cone, next thing you can have a statue in the in the town centre. It's like, it's, it's epic stuff, isn't it? It's brilliant. We've got, we've got someone coming on the podcast. It's going to be a while. It's a couple of months away. They've had an award named after them. An award named after them. An That's award. a whole other level. Yeah. It's yeah. one thing stick, nominating. Stick that on the list, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my Actual gosh. award, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So look out for that Can't one, wait folks. to hear about that. Brilliant. So, well, congratulations <laughs> as well. Congratulations to Kate for getting her own, her own. Although I must say in the photo, Kate, I don't know what they've done to that cone, but it looked like it was set on fire <laughs> previous week. <laughs> students. But, students. Oh, students, honestly brilliant stuff well that's great well thank you for sharing those and thank you to sh- for everyone for sharing your wins with us this week if you would like to share your wins uh, or if you'd just like to send us a message say whether you enjoy the show maybe you've got an idea for the show maybe uh something's inspired you today about the show let us know and um, pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the contacts page um fill out a form and mark and i'll have a read of it and mr stay talking to social media yeah, come and find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram is at Bestseller XP. Drop us a line there. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, give us a rating on your podcast catcher of choice. Uh, subscribe. That always helps. That makes us more visible. Uh, you know, whatever you do to to, to, to make it regular. Uh, we're all about making it regular here, we aren't are we? We are making it. Get so, up, yes. about make it regular. <laughs> exactly. Get the blood flow. <laughs> exactly. And thanks as always to our editors, Dave and JD course and folks if you want to go to the 200 word challenge try that out 200 wordchallengecom if you want to join the academy it's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and mark i just have to finish this uh this show really by wishing wishing unwelcome all the best in mm, across streaming platforms everywhere and north america very excited to see uh, see how that all goes and uh and i think it's appropriate today of all days when we've talked about so many different things I'd like to say it's a good one a goodbye from Mark One Desk (laughs) and it's a goodbye from Mark Two Desk (laughs) (laughs) goodbye